Welcome to episode number 60 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. It's Jason Martinez at Jason Bird on Twitter. Uh, Russ Cohen at Sportsology on Twitter. Russ has a, a little website, too, that's pretty darn good. It's called Sportsology.com. You should check it out. Anything new and uh, exciting for the people to check out on Sportsology.com, Russ? Yeah, actually, um, there is a goalie uh, with the last name of Askarov who uh, is going to be in the 2020 draft. Top 15 pick, I believe. And so there's a little blurb on him on there right now. Uh, I'm going to have another MMA interview this week. We're hot on the MMA trail lately. And there'll be a few other things that'll pop in. Oh, very good. So check out sportsology.com. Give the Stick to Hockey podcast a follow on Twitter at Stick to Hockey Pod. And also give us a rating and review. Uh, subscribe. Do all those fun things. It is episode 60. Do you have a 60 on the top of your head? We're not talking nah. about your age, are we? Oh, ah, <laughs> sick. 56, burn. a youthful 56. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, well past no. your episode. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm probably past my expiration expiration date. I get it. I don't have a 60 for you. No, no, I don't either. Maybe like did Kincaid wear 60 or something like that. It sounds 60 sounds familiar, but I'm not looking it up. I don't care. <laughs> well, speaking of Keith Kincaid, he was uh, waived. How about yes. that? And the and Montreal Canadiens uh, are, are sinking like a lead rock right now. They are. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that nobody has claimed him yet. But this might be the time of year where the cap's so tight that nobody is going to claim him. And so they're claiming, yeah. the Canadians, that they want him to sort of get a tune-up in the minors. Uh, I think this is just Bergevin's way of trying to wake up the crowd. But he doesn't have the strongest roster. so. With injuries like to Duran, this team's hurting a bit, offensively especially. I don't know, you know, Carey Price has been keeping them going, but once Carey Price sort of leveled off, so have they. Oh, and he has leveled off in a big way, and oh, yeah. they have got to – I mean, that's a team that was one of those playoff bubble teams, you know, didn't make it last year, I think with, what, 96 points last year, and they didn't make the playoffs. And then you consider this year coming in and, and the, this rough patch that they've hit. It's still early in the year, and a lot of things can change, both for the teams that are playing really well and the teams that are struggling. But Montreal right now, they've lost eight straight games, two, five, and three in their last ten. They're now 11, 10, and six on the year. Well, you got to play well over, probably, uh, probably over 600 hockey the rest of the way for them to make it, considering the hole that they've dug themselves in with an eight-game losing streak in the first third of the season. Yeah, I, a spoiler, they're not in my power rankings. Yeah, they're not in mine either. Speaking of which, we're going to do our power rankings, the top eight teams from uh, each conference. Um, and these aren't necessarily like how they're seeded, just how the, the, the eight best teams from each conference. I do have a team in each of mine that is not currently in playoff position. I'm ranking them just based on the best eight teams that I see there. But, Russ, let me ask you, too, before get to the Flyers, and Bill Meltzer is going to join us from uh, NHL.com, also Hockey Buzz. Everybody knows who Bill is, and we're going to deep dive into the Flyers and Elaine Vigneault. Um, but when you look at, 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 at a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are now 12-9-3 on the year, and we just have this assumption that they can just all of a sudden step on the gas pedal and become the great team that they were last year that had 128 points or whatever it was in the standings, uh, is that going to happen this year for the Tampa Bay Lightning, or is it going to require change there behind their bench? Well, they won't make any change in season, so I think it will happen to some degree because guys like Kucherov and 
even McDonough on defense can be a, uh, a physical force and, and sometimes get points for them. Sergachev can do better. I think these guys will step up to try and save John Cooper's job, but I don't think it's saving. I, I, I thought last year he would get fired. I would have fired him last year uh, after what happened in that season. They're a little more forgiving than I am, but now they're sort of paying the price of just maybe eking out a playoff berth and then seeing what you have. But I think the Cooper effect is wearing off there. Yeah, well, there's some teams where the effect is wearing off, and the Devils are one oh, yeah. of those. They are not in my power rankings, and I don't think they're in anybody's. <laughs> they got belted uh, by the for Sabres 7-1. For the draft, well, yeah. they are. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people paying attention just for the sheer Taylor Hall sweepstakes. Right, and so I've been saying for at least a good month that he he was going to get traded before they even said anything. Because I knew, and I think we even said it on this show before, that when they kept the negotiations open and we didn't hear anything from anybody's agent or anything, we kind of knew something was happening. But I also had pointed to when New Jersey was in against Philly for the first time and Wayne Simmons, and we were waiting on him in the hallway, and Taylor Hall was going to walk out in the hallway, and he saw a bunch of media, and then he went back in. (laughs) I kind of knew that at that point. He didn't want to discuss it and probably wasn't staying. And then and and I said it the day after. So that's where they're at. They're in a tough spot now. Because Josh Harris moves so slowly, I don't think he'll fire Ray Shiro. So I'm taking that off the table based on the way he has run the Sixers and and how long he let that other stuff go on with the previous. Yeah, Colangelo. Yeah. Colangelo before Elton Brand and all that. Right. So. Now I'm looking at it like he wants Shiro to trade Taylor Hall and get that, you know, return for his franchise and possibly change the the coach. And I think he'll give, give him one more year. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I think is going to happen with Shiro. I don't understand why John Hines has a job. I don't. Because in the Ranger game, I would have fired him after that because – they got beat up at home in a fight. They gave up two shorthanded goals. Their power play was awful. So now again, yesterday, I don't know, what was the final? 7-2? 7-1, yeah. 7-1, sorry. And so power play was awful. They don't even use P.K. Subban on the top power play anymore. This is not just for that game. This is for a bunch of games uh, recently. So he's not on the top power play anymore. And actually, there was a point they didn't even put him out on a second power play. <laughs> so they just used Vatanen. And so... Why'd you trade for him? <laughs> yeah. Well, because they they had a belief that he was going to be the same player, but he's not as fast as he once was. Yeah. The speed has 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 left him a bit. And so when that happened, PK Subban's a lot less dynamic. And so he never had a booming point shot, but he was good on the power play for sure. So now it's like they've gone to Will Butcher on the power play, but still there were weird things yesterday. Now I understand John Hines is one of those coaches that will have lines, but say nothing's like a first line, second line, third line. But he still had him, Taylor Hall on the third line. And then when that game was getting out of hand, Wayne Simmons actually got more playing time than Taylor Hall because I guess he wanted to police the ice. And it's like, okay, like I just, this team is just so lost. Yeah. The, the Devils. Uh, along police the your job search. <laughs> if yeah. you're gonna, if you're gonna institute your players, you know, put, you know, put them on the ice that way. 
Yeah, they're weak along the walls. They're losing those battles. Uh, when they were behind, really the only guy who was going to the net for a while was Heeshear, of all people. Nobody else. Yeah. They were yeah. just, even Simmons was sort of just going by it, going playing the corners. It was sort of like, eh, this one's out of hand. We'll, we'll get them next time, like, you know, with a half-hearted, you know, fist in the air. It, it, it's tuned- a shame, though, Russ, because, like, Simmons, like, toiled away here in Philadelphia through all those years of 10-game win streaks and missing the playoffs, the 10-game losing streaks and making it, but not ever being a threat. He leaves, and now all of a sudden he's stuck in the same situation in New Jersey, if not even worse, while the Flyers seem to be flourishing. Well, I mean, Jason, you know, I, I think the Sabres wanted it more. Ah, uh, you know, I said that. Yeah. I said that for for effect. That's an inside joke people might get. Wow, it's it's crazy though. But uh, <laughs> hey, maybe maybe Simmons he'll be a guy that'll be back on the market again, and I'm sure he'll fetch like a third round pick. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's he'll all just, you'll give because yeah. he's got like 11 points. Yes, he could still hit some players, but he didn't do anything for Nashville in the playoffs. So, but somebody will trade for Wayne Simmons. There's no question, and the Devils knew that. That's why they gave him a one-year deal. But Wayne's career now is is heading downhill. He'll get signed again next year, but to be a fourth liner. He's yeah. never making $5 million again. Yeah, and he's not going to be a top power play guy anymore no. either. He's going to be just a sandpaper guy for a team that, with good leadership and, and those yes. kind of things. Um, okay, so while we're on that, and before we get to Bill Meltzer coming up in just a couple of minutes, um, the uh, – you know, we're talking about John Hines and the and the coaching job he's done there. We've talked about Pete DeBoer this season. We've obviously talked about Mike Babcock and boy, the firestorm that his firing in Toronto has has kind of set off is um, still showing its face right now. And I think it's going to be for a long time because they've opened now a Pandora's box of allegations and whether you want to call it a witch hunt or whatever you want to call it. But right now, there's a cleansing going on in the NHL. And Mike Babcock is going to coach again. He's too good of a coach not to. And while some of the things that he did, especially that Mitch Marner incident, making the list of the hardest working to least hardest working players and making it public, while that was certainly in bad taste, and we found out that he did that years earlier in Detroit as well. Somehow he still thought it was a good idea to try it again, which is idiotic. But what's going on right now, Rutz, in, in the coaching circuit, is incredible. Bill Peters is out. He uh, tendered yeah. his resignation in Calgary. He's gone. He all but admitted in that half-assed apology letter uh, to to ownership out there and Brad and the GM Bradtree living in in Calgary that he did say what he was accused of saying. Although he never addressed the parts about hitting players while he was in no. Carolina, which Rod Brindamore uh, did say happened. He was an assistant coach with that group. Now, where does this end? Who's next? We know that right now Mark Crawford is in the crosshairs and is suspended from the Blackhawks coaching staff right now and won't be traveling with that team because of the Brent Sopel comments. Where's this going? How many people does it take out? And what coaching uh, coaches or former coaches or assistant coaches right now aren't sleeping real well? Well, I mean, there's a lot of allegations, so I don't want to throw out names and throw guys under the bus. I can't call it a witch hunt. And I know you didn't, and I won't call it a witch hunt because witch hunt basically denotes that, you know, you're you're drumming up the charges. They're trumped up charges, for lack of a better term, and they're not. These are all earned. Mike Babcock, we always knew Babcock was a world-class jerk and only cared about Mike Babcock, the brand, but we didn't realize that he was cruel. 
And what he did with Johan Franzen was cruel. We have to remember, it doesn't matter if a guy is six foot three, six foot four, 200 something pounds. He's still a human being. He still could suffer depression. He could still suffer the same things you and I can, even if you're like five foot six, a hundred and I don't know, Jace, what are you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you get the idea. <laughs> 190. <laughs> there you go. But no, but I'm just kidding. But the idea is that was cruel where you you basically berated the guy to the point where he didn't even want to go to the rink anymore. And I just think that's horrible. And I have to take a shot at Chris Chelios as well, because while Chelios is doing a great job as the whistleblower, Jason, wasn't he a part of the leadership group that he was talking about that didn't do anything like again there's a lot of people that didn't do anything and and that's you know that's the sad part here now you know again maybe he tried but he didn't say he tried so yeah i wonder where his voice was at the point of impact when he could have really yeah done something about this in the moment Uh, years later it's awfully convenient to sit there and point the finger yeah so he didn't say anything about that so i'm assuming he didn't do that so, again, Babcock has earned everything that's come out about him. And Franzen said there's more. And, you know, people are pointing to Val Philpola now, but I don't think he'll talk because, you know, he's he's still playing. And I, you know, right now he's playing for Detroit, isn't he? So. Yeah. Are they really playing, though? <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. They're a minus 53. Um, yeah. And, and I think they can catch. Colorado, who was minus 112 in 16, 17. I think they can catch him if that if that helps. But I just I look at it and I say, I don't think Mike Babcock should coach anymore ever again. I don't. But but, but I you think this you, you do agree that he will. No, I don't agree anymore. I don't. You, I think wow. culture. I think there's enough of a culture change. Well, because I was thinking before all this broke and just the Marner stuff was out there that you know maybe. Even before the Marner stuff, though, actually, before the Marner stuff, I was thinking oh, maybe a team like Seattle, right, where he could just run everything. And and now you don't want that. Right. Because of the too culture much power. that. Yeah. Yeah. Too much power, because clearly he's a guy that's power crazy. And now tell me a GM that's going to want to deal with Mike Babcock. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, though. The fact of the matter is, is he is still a really good coach. I know that you would consider his last stop in Toronto a failure because. They never won a round of the playoffs with him there. Um, I can it's see a that. Very long He'll time. Never coach say... for his country again, though. Well, yeah, no, he's never going to coach for his country. Uh, hasn't it been like a decade since he's gone past the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're right about that, but I, I can't see. You know, teams can be forgiving, and they'll 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 trump them out there and say, "Hey, I've learned from my mistakes of uh, yesteryear, and I realize I have to evolve." And the players today aren't like the players when we were kids, to where you could, I guess, just kick the living shit out of whoever you wanted. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, if you if you went to private school, there were teachers that could just they thought that they could do that, and they could kick the crap out of kids. Look, I had a teacher in sixth grade, and he would give you a noogie with his class ring. Now, a noogie is basically smacking you on top of the head with your knuckle with that ring. And he did it to, like, the toughest guy in the school, and the guy was practically crying because, again, why would you do that to a human being? Yeah, especially a kid. Right. Yeah, and so— Yeah, 13 years old, you know. Yeah. that My, my high school used to give the paddle. The yeah. paddle. It, it's, if it's you were crazy. bad— 
they would basically would be the same as like a paddle ball paddle and they'd whack you on the tush. And so I was like on death row for the paddle. And I know you're shocked at this. And, <laughs> and at the 11th hour, my mother got in there and told them what I did was not paddle worthy, which I, it wasn't. I, during a fire drill, there was a teacher who I really didn't like, and he had his back turned to, uh, to the outside. And I was walking around the building cause I didn't feel like staying in the area. And I gave him the finger, but he saw the <laughs> finger in like a reflection. So then I had uh-huh. to go down. Yeah. Because of the light, you know, the fluorescence, how they reflected. So, so then I had to go down to the, uh, principal's office and they were going to give me the paddle. And when I told my mother, she flipped out and she threatened legal action. And <laughs> I got a stay of execution for that. Wow. So but you got the about help that. when like, you got home, though. <laughs> you know, they didn't hit me, but I was in trouble. But the idea <laughs> was, this is 1980. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, there's been a lot of evolution in society since then, so... But yeah, where this goes next, I don't know. I, I, but there are, I can assure you, there's a lot of coaches out there right now worried that their name is going to be the next one that's that's put out there. And I know that you know Patrick O'Sullivan spoke about Crawford and his time there. You know, knowing Patrick's history with the the abuse that he went through from his father, he wrote a book about it. Um, and then you know some of the things that Mark Crawford did or was alleged to have done, I should say, uh, in regards to Patrick O'Sullivan, Brent Sopo, and, and Presumably a lot of other players, but you coach for that long. But it is a power-hungry, drunk-with-power position over professional athletes. And you, like, it's easy for us to go, well, like if, if some guy that is not really in shape like a professional athlete, like a coach, were to hit me and I'm a professional athlete, I'd probably kick the crap out of him. Right. But you also put your career in jeopardy. And a lot of times the guys that they're, they're hitting are guys that are in a position – to just to say, hey, I fired back at the coach because the coach does hold that person's career and life in their hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at it, there's always something that could be held over your head. And I get that. Like you said, you could lose your job. Like I remember there was when I was in college at the University of Houston, there was a guy who was anti-Semitic and he was slurring, hurling anti-Semitic words at me. And people were holding me back because I wanted to beat the crap out of them. But then they reminded me, if you get into this fight, you're probably going to get kicked out of school. Yeah. And so yeah. then I, I backed down. And so, yeah, when you have something like that to lose, it becomes a tough situation. I get it. Yeah, no question about it. Um, we're going to get into uh, Elaine Vigneault because there's been uh, he's had a, a very pronounced effect on the Flyers thus far this season. So we'll talk to uh, Bill uh, Melter about Elaine Vigneault and everything Flyers here in just a second. Joining us right now, the uh, the magic of the internet. Joining Russ Cohen and Jason Martinez on the Stick to Hockey podcast. It's been too long since Bill Melter's been on, but Bill is on now. Bill, how are you? Uh, doing great, Jason. How are you doing, Russ? Good, good. good. Well, a lot to get into, Bill, because it's been quite the month for the Philadelphia Flyers. They end the month tying a franchise record for the most points in the month of November. We've seen this team over the past couple of years have hot streaks and 10-game win streaks and not make the playoffs, 10-game lose streaks and miss and make the playoffs. So how are we supposed to feel about the month of November for the Philadelphia Flyers? Because this does feel a little bit different. So what's different about it? Well, I think that, um, you know, I, although – you know, I mean, there are there are certain things, 
you know, there, there are always variables inside of games, right? Because Flyers had nine games this past month that went beyond regulation. So you got to, you know, you got to view that in light of that. There's so many games that can go either way in the league. There's so much parity around the league. You know, so, you know, the Flyers had quite a few go there, but a few, but a few of those shootout losses, you know, could have gone the other way as well. To me, the, to me, the number one thing that the, uh, is different about this team now, um, compared to, to last year, previous years is look at where they are in terms of how they've cut the goals against that they're allowing. They're getting mm-hmm. some stable goaltending team defense is, is much better. I think, you know, the addition of Matt Niskanen, for example, has been, been huge, even though um, even though Kevin Hayes' offense has been, you know, he had, a, he had a dry spell and he's come on again a little bit lately. In terms of his two-way play, the defensive side of the game, that, that's been a big, you know, to me, a, a big benefit to the team this year. They're able to balance the lines better. And I, when I just look, when I look up and down the roster, I think it's a deeper team than some of these teams you, you've seen the last few years. I mean, the Flyers want to spell you know, without getting very much out of Giroux and, and um, JVR and ben, and and Voracek. Um, but yet they were still competitive and they were still winning games. I don't think, you know, even even a couple of years ago when they made the playoffs, if, if Giroux didn't have 102 points that season, I don't think the Flyers get anywhere near the playoffs. You know, I, so to That's me, true. those things are different. I think, it, I think it's a better balanced roster. I think it's a better, uh, I, I think it's better built to, to win low scoring games with the capability, I think, of scoring more than they have so far this year. So all those things. Then, you know, of course, the flip side of that being the special team side, too, has been, has been a lot better. The uh, power play is coming in around 20%. Penalty kills 85-plus percent. You know, all those things will keep you competitive. And I said also, of course, the goaltending side in combination. Yeah, no, no question about it. When you've only used two goaltenders at this point, I think last year at this point <laughs> they were probably five deep, <laughs> you know? So yeah. that's been a big part of it. But let, let's go to the penalty kill real quick because you just mentioned it. They're third in the NHL. They're killing penalties at, at roughly 85%. They've been extremely aggressive. We see a change in the system. There is change in personnel as well. And they've had a couple guys out that would help, like a, a guy like Scott Lawton who was out for a pro- pronounced period of time. But what is it about the penalty kill? Is it simply, you know, the help? A veteran D and a system change. What do you kind of attribute that success to? Well, I think that some of it actually started last season in the second half. Um, you know, when when Lappy was still running the penalty kill and Scott Gordon had come in, they they made it they made an own zone change. I thought early in the year they they were showing a little bit of you know a improvement in terms of challenging entries, up ice play, and not getting you know not letting other teams get set up. But once they were set up, they were in trouble. Um, you know, I, I thought the Flyers were, were a little too passive in, in the box last year, even even a little bit in the second half. But I thought they got better at, at, at strong side pressure. Um, this year, I think all of it's kind of come together. You know, they're they're uh, first of all they're getting saves. Your goalie has to be your best penalty killer. They're they're getting saves when they need them, but they're not even allowing a lot of shots in general. Um, you know, I talked about the up ice pressure and challenging entries. That's been there. But also, they're not giving teams time time and space very often. They're they're taking away uh, the strong side. In other words, challenging the guy who has the puck and not enabling him to make plays. And as soon as uh, as soon as the puck gets rotated, they're you know they're they're making good reads. They're blocking shots. And as I said, you know the the goalies are making the saves that they have to make. I mean, those are those are the elements of a good PK. Yeah, I I think this is where a lot of the worth of Kevin Hayes has come on come on. 
he had a short, he, he had the first shorthanded goal of the year, which is probably the first one, Bill, that we'd seen in months and months and months. And and that's a big deal. Again, Kevin Hayes was never going to be a 75 point guy, but he was going to be a guy that is talented, plays defense, plays in the PK, wins faceoffs. And if they can figure this out and they should be able to figure it out a little more, give him the occasional stretch pass, because if he can get some ice ahead of him, he really can make some moves that surprise everybody. And he did one recently. So all those things definitely helps with with Kevin Hayes and Niskanen has been really good. Niskanen has that new role now. Nobody's expecting Matt Niskanen to be a 40, 45 point defenseman anymore, but he does everything else great. So that's that's been a big help. That's helped Provorov too. We don't talk about Justin Braun now, and I'm not sure we're gonna, but that's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing with Braun is that you know his number one strength is is those stick on puck plays, and those yeah. are you know those are you know, those are so valuable in terms of getting guys to turn pucks over, and and both you know Niskanen in particular, but Niskanen, there's no panic whatsoever in his game and he's good he's very good at clearing the zone you know when i when when we would see the flyers get in trouble a lot um they still some they still sometimes do at five on five but they've been good on the on the pk when you have clearing opportunities you got to get the puck out of the zone and every successive failed clear increases the chance of getting scored on um you know once you've had two or three and you're you're heading in your own zone you really need the goalie to not just make a save, but actually hold the puck for a stoppage. Otherwise, you know, otherwise a goal is kind of inevitable. And that happened so many times last year. The structure would be fine to start with. Yeah. You'd get a shot block, you get whatever, and then the puck would be turned right back over. Wouldn't wouldn't get out of the zone because you feel a little bit of forechecking pressure come and and you wouldn't get the puck out. And then all of a sudden guys are scrambled around, you're running around your zone, you know. Your structure is shot, and one a one timer, or you know, even a, a point shot later, and you're facing off at center ice. So they've been a lot. They've cleaned up a lot of that. On the worrisome end, though, Bill, I kind of wonder if the Flyers shouldn't do some load management with Braun because I don't know where he's going to be 70, 75 games. I mean, he certainly doesn't have the foot speed he used to, and while he does do the stick on puck, he does get burned quite a bit. And yeah. And I, you know, you kind of wonder if they should not put such a load on him so early in the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't really have, unfortunately, there's some things, things are so tightly bunched in general in the league. Yeah. Uh, you really can't, you can't do that. Um, particularly when the Flyers, they, you know, they were, they were, they, they've certainly had worse starts. They've had to do more pedaling uphill, but they, you know, but they still weren't. They still weren't where they needed to be going into the past month. And with 16 games in, in 30 days, I mean, you do kind of burn the candle at both ends. They're trying to get other guys contributing on the PK. You know, um, this year Sandheim's increased his role a little bit on the PK yeah. side. Um, you know, Myers has seen a little bit of PK time. Obviously, Ghost is not a guy you're going to use very no. much. <laughs> so you know, but I mean, you know, Hag when he's in the lineup contributes a little bit there. So they are trying to manage the load a little bit. But I mean, uh, yeah, they're they're going to lean heavily on those veterans. That you you know you will see. You know, we'll have to see what happens down the stretch and, and heading you know heading towards the latter part of the season because there 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 certainly can be a wear down effect on guys, and that's something they do have to keep an eye on. One thing I know it's really difficult to do, and that's kill penalties from the press box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's really difficult. And not that he would uh, refer to Ghost, that he would be a penalty killer anyway, or a power play player. But let, let, let's talk about Shane Goss's bear because um, this is now a lot of games that he's been a healthy scratch. 
Um, he was looking for a big rebound year. He stayed in the area to train a new coaching staff and seemingly a system bill that would benefit a player that has is dynamic offensively. Yet it hasn't clicked for him in any way, shape or form. He's been erratic at best. And when he's not putting up points and with his defensive liabilities, that's a real problem. That's why he's in the press box. What's the future for Shane Gostisbehere here in Philadelphia? Is there a future for Gostisbehere in Philadelphia? He's got two goals and five assists in 24 games played. Right, and and you know, I mean, it was a, it was a big goal the uh, on on Black Friday, but it it mm-hmm. was kind of a lucky one too. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, deflected off a defenseman in front. It wasn't the the kind that he used to score. He would just blast a one timer and just overpower the goalie. You know, he he doesn't doesn't seem to be playing with much confidence. And last year there were some physical issues. He doesn't seem to have any physical issues. Every once in a while he'll break out some of those lateral moves that yeah. uh, you know that used to be a staple of his game. Um, you know, with, with Ghost, you know, some guys, actually a lot of guys, and I think it's one of the areas that he sometimes has run into problems with coaches. You know, a lot of times if you're not producing offensively, then you focus on the defensive side of your game, and then you build offense from there. Ghost is the other way around. He plays he plays better defensively when he's producing when he's feeling good offensively. You know he'll 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 you know for example when he's going well he'll break up a lot of plays in the neutral zone and turn you know the the Flyers will be dealing with a short ice situation um, you know and, and generating an attack from there. Really really not seeing even a lot of that so far this year. Right? The, you know and and now it's going on. And now it's going on a, a season and a half get, getting there where he's struggled. He hasn't looked like, you know, the player that he was two years ago. Um, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it's hard. If, he, if, he's not a, if he's not a power play guy, particularly a power play one guy, you know, his, his, uh, his usefulness become, becomes limited uh, there. And then also, you know, when, you know, other teams, listen, other teams scout the flyers. They know what's been going on with Shane. It's uh you know, it's hard to, to get him going, whether it's as a whether it's as a contributor in the lineup or as a trade asset. I mean, he's going to have to play better either which way. People talk about his, uh, you know, his, his cap it being being a team friendly one. And it is if he's producing It's a very team friendly one. <laughs> he produced that two years ago. Right now, right now, at five million being being a healthy scratch, it's not such a great cap. Hit. Yeah, no question. True. Yeah, I, I do want to add with Gossespierre. So looking at some of his other numbers, he's almost gone back to like 2016, 17 standards for giveaways, but at least then, and that wasn't a great season, but at least then he had 39 points. I don't even think he's going to get that this year, but his blocks are down. His hits are down. Like everything is down except the giveaways. And so that is definitely still a confidence issue, Bill. I'm with you. The skating's good. Like there's nothing wrong with the skating. I can't look at something and point to it, so I've got to believe it's upstairs, but they have to play him. The one thing I don't think fans understand is if their motive is to trade him, they do need to play him because they've got to get him playing to where at least the team says, all right, you know what, change the scenery, we put him with this guy, different setup, we can, we think this will work. And I think that's the way you could trade Shane Goss' group. Yeah, and, and, and my, my other... You know, and, and I agree because he's gonna have to he's gonna have to play his way through it one way or another. Whether whether you know it, it's working his way back up in the lineup here or, or maybe a fresh start somewhere else. One thing that concerns me with Shane, you know, he talked about his confidence being down two head coaches ago, two you know two def- two defensive assistants ago. 
and then and it came up with with Rick Wilson and with uh, with Scott Gordon, him saying again his confidence was down, and now now again he's talking about his confidence. You know, it's three head coaches, three three assistant coaches. You know, and that that concerns me a little bit because yeah, if, if it with any of those guys who have very different styles of coaching and very different philosophies, you know, I'm, I'm it, it makes me a little bit concerned about when you know when or if Shane will pull through this. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. And, and it, like his skating does look fine, but I feel like ever since he had his core surgery, he's lost a little bit of burst. He was never a fast skater in my opinion to begin with, but he was a shifty shifty skater if you will and a guy that was mm-hmm. deceptive in the way he skated and the way he could contort his body and and you talked about those shifty moves bill but to me he, the, there's not enough power in his stride which really hurts him in board battles and just upper body strength as well but to me the confidence right now in him is so low that yeah you know when he was going offensively he could lay out on a two-on-one and make a great great defensive stick play and you, you know don't what? see any of that i'll tell you what i think it is jason I don't think any of that's changed except the aggressiveness when he has the puck on his stick. He used to always want to take it up the ice, but you know, when Hacksaw mm-hmm. would allow it, um, when he had it and try and make a play. And now he's almost like hesitant. He'd rather almost pass it than, yeah. than be that guy. Cause even his shots are down. So I think it's an aggressiveness being less aggressive in trying to make those plays. I don't know what Bill thinks, but that's what I think. And, yeah. And actually uh, along those same lines, Russ, one of the things that the ghost, even even when he wasn't producing, you know, during portions of you know during last year, one of the things he was still one of the best in the NHL. I was keeps at the point. I mean, he was yeah. he was on yes, he's like Jimmy uh, Rollins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. His range to go <laughs> yeah. go over the middle, you know, it would be look like an easy clear up the middle, and there he'd be like diving with his stick and yeah. keeping the puck in. This this year he's not even you know this year he's just backing out of the zone more often and, and yeah. you, know, you know, almost conceding the clear just because the confidence isn't there to try to do things. And that, that's yeah. definitely, I mean, I think that falls along the same lines. Hey, hey Bill, one of the, uh, before we get to pro often, because I think we need to give him his due, but uh, you know, I'm a guy, I like to beat my chest when I'm right. And this isn't in regard to Goss's bear. Cause I was right there too, but um, uh, more in regard to Brian Elliott and I, this was a guy that I was beating the drum for to bring him back. I thought, he was a guy, if he was accepting of the role to be the tandem or the mentor to a young goaltender, a 21-year-old now, Carter Hart, I thought he was the perfect guy for that position because not only was he a guy that could teach him how to be a pro, but he was also a guy that could still stop pucks. And to me, he's been their most valuable player to this point, along with probably Konechny and Couturier is climbing that chart quickly as well. But when I look at the effect of Brian Elliott on this team, and the fact that the coaching staff can use both of these goalies and get quality starts out of each, that's been the difference, and that's why I think the November was what it was. Oh, that was that was absolutely huge. When the Flyers had all those blocks of three games and four nights, four games and six nights, and you have to use both goalies, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think that, that absolutely both both goalies, have, you know, both goalies had save percentages almost around 93%, both guys. You know, I mean that that's that's phenomenal goaltending. I don't, yeah. I, you're only gonna you're only gonna limit so many scoring chances. You have you have to have saves made behind you. And you know, one of the things with Elliott is even even just look go back one game against Montreal, gives up a bad goal in the first 20 seconds of the game, and then put it right behind him, 
and you know was was outstanding the rest of the game. I mean that's that's one of the things that a that a veteran goalie can do that he's sometimes even the most talented of youngsters sometimes struggle with. Once one is behind them, it was actually something that Bernie Perrant used to tell Pelly Lindbergh. Uh, Pelly in an interview had talked about that after he after he won his Vezina that one of the things that that Bernie impressed on him was it's not with a, with a goalie. A lot of times it's not the first goal you give up. It's the second one. You know, how, how do you, how do you bounce back after one gets behind you? And that's something that Elliot, uh, you know, I love, I love his competitiveness level, you know, um, age and injuries have taken away some of his athleticism. Um, but he'll, he'll fight for every single save. And, and he does fight. fight. He really yeah, does. He is a battler. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Let me ask yeah. you this, Bill. Um, Right now, Vegas, when when Flurry is there, because he's not there at the moment, um, they've been limiting his shots in practice. We saw Elliott get a stinger. You know, why not bring in someone like Jason Ratitas to just let them fire on him and destroy him rather than maybe getting Elliott hurt with his history? Why why not use just some other goalie in practice sometimes? Well, I think that you know, I think that that really the goalie dictates how. Uh, how much work he thinks he needs going into a start. It's a very personalized routine. Yeah. Um, you know, some, uh, some goalies, you know, like, uh, go back, uh, go back a couple goalies ago. Steve Mason was, a, however he practiced was how he played. And he was right. very particular about, about his practice routine. And if he didn't have a good practice, you'd worry about him heading into the next game or, or if there wasn't an opportunity to practice. Um, you know, Elliot, Elliot seems to be a little more adaptable in that, right? Um, you know, he, he'll have his routine a lot of times where if he's, uh, where if he's starting, like, you know, if there is a morning skate on the day when, the day when he's starting, uh, you know, he'll, he'll just put in just a bare minimum, get, get stretched out and whatever, and then he'll be off. Um, you know, Hart, you know, Hart's an example of he's starting tonight. It's an optional morning skate. Yet he yet he took reps this morning. I think you know I think that that really depends on the goalie. Now you know when Elliot has dealt with physical issues, which unfortunately has been the case for the last couple seasons, he has to scale back uh, on the yeah. amount of reps that he takes. Um, you know I, I and there you know there there might be days uh, where you know, there might be days in the latter part of the season just for maintenance purposes. There is a there is a fill in goalie on one side because Elliot's taking maintenance day and yeah. you know that, that, that's all that's all par for the course we'll see we'll see how that goes yeah a guy like harry price will do that too when he needs to rebuild his game he won't take the normal practice he'll be on the on the ice with his goaltending coach just working right. on post integration or the technical aspects and with him being such a technical goalie that's something that some of those guys will do but lately like you said russ they'll bring out mike mckenna's out there broadcasting with the vegas golden knights now so they've yeah. been suiting him up and firing pucks at him, you know, and they will do that on occasion. Um, let's talk about yeah, I mean, Provorov. I think they should let him fire pucks at your head, and I'd go out there too then. Well, well, <laughs> well there'd be a long line of people in there to fire them at my head. And the, the weird part is that my head is always in the danger zone because I'm not that tall. Right. So it's always under the bar. <laughs> my head is known as bar down, by the way. <laughs> um Ivan Provorov, he picks up the overtime winner against uh, Montreal in that game and a sensational coast-to-coast and then, you know, dangles through his legs and then is able to put that backhander and get the win for the Flyers. He's got 17 points now, six goals, 11 assists. He is logging the minutes at almost 25 minutes per game. He signed the contract, 
and he is looking like tremendous value right now in every aspect for the Flyers. He, he's absolutely, he's playing his best hockey since the uh, shoulder injury in the playoffs two years ago. Last yep. season, all season was kind of a, a roller coaster ride. And, you know, he had a, had a few inconsistencies early this season as well. But over the last, I'd say over the last five weeks or so, he's played probably, you know, some of, if not the best all around hockey that he's played in the NHL. I mean, not just, uh, not just the offensive side of the coin, which is, which has come back this year. And, uh, you know, and I and I expect to continue. Uh, just just his play with just his poise, his play without the puck. Um, you know, his pain threshold. I mean, we we used to talk about chemotemonins. Um, you know, Provorov had to take a maintenance day uh, about a week or so ago, and even even then, they said he was probable to play the next day. But it it takes an awful lot to get Ivan Provorov off the ice for any reason. You know, he, I mean, yeah. he's taken a beating. He's blocked a whole lot of shots, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, when when game day rolls around. You, you would never know it from the way that he's playing. I mean, he is uh, absolutely coming into his own as an, an upper, upper echelon, all-around defenseman in the National Hockey League, which is uh, obviously a huge part of the reason why the Flyers are where they are. And also, let's give Matt Niskanen some credit, too, because he's been a tremendous partner for him, a good balance. Yeah, I'll go back to 2013. I saw him Provov playing for Cedar Rapids at the USHL Atlantic Challenge in Hackensack, New Jersey. I drove to Hackensack. And I wrote a report on the game, and what I wrote about Provorov was is that he had great puck pursuit, active stick, especially on the PK, needed to work on his first pass, but his skating was already above average. And I wrote a little bit more, and he has improved on all of those things. Like he, But I said he was the best player on the ice, and I've got to tell you, if you want to talk about a player that nobody was talking about, had little fanfare in that tournament, he was that guy. Yeah, he. I mean, he was a guy who probably could have been the NHL at 18 right out of the draft. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually was very conservative in how he brought guys along. So he gave him the extra year in the, in the Western league. But I mean, Provorov by 18 was probably NHL ready. You know, very, very few players in general, but especially defense when you can say that about he's, sure. uh, yeah, he, he's, he's mature beyond his years. And, uh, you know, I, and I don't think we've even seen his top level yet. I think there still is a little bit more offense out of them too. that could come. I yeah, agree. Not, I go back to two years. Speaks ago, better sorry, English actually. than all of us too. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I go back to two years ago at rookie camp. Um, he he was using, you know, either an Apple Watch or some sort of watch where he was gauging his his um his BPS and and we all do it. There's those apps now on the Apple phone and everything else where you can get your blood pressure and and see how you're doing. And he was checking it every three or four times he was on the ice. And when I asked him about it, and he was a young player, it was probably even three years ago, um, he, he was like, oh, no, no, I, I, you know, that's not what I was doing. But he was. And he's really been ahead of the game in that, Bill, with his yeah. training and, and with his on and off on, on ice development, better than any defenseman that has ever played for the Flyers in his era, rookie or older, like better than them all. Well, yeah. If you look at his recovery times between shifts, it's crazy. They're 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 amazing. I mean, they're 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 almost superhuman. Just to, you know, uh, it, it's actually amazing how quickly he's ready to go back out again. I mean, that's how that's why he logs the kind of ice time he does. And yeah, he's he's on he's on top of all that. He's uh, very 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 self aware, which is why uh, you know, which is why he's again why he's able to do what he does. Hey, Bill. Uh- one of the biggest changes of the offseason, we've seen some young players come up, Farabee, Frost, Phil Myers now with the team. 
but the biggest change of the offseason was the hiring of Elaine Vino and his coaching staff with Mike Yo and Michelle Terrian. Um, Vino, there's an assumption that everything he says publicly, he has already said to these players privately, and he holds everybody accountable. Whether you've been in the league for 15 years and you're making multi millions of dollars, or whether you're a young player that needs some tough love, or maybe you need to be uh, coddled a bit at specific times. But he's pressed a lot of the right buttons. We've seen Elaine Vino have success from afar, whether that was in Vancouver, where he took that 2010 team to the finals, and it, with the Rangers, another team to the finals. But he's been even more impressive than a lot of people could have imagined so far. What's been the thing that's impressed you with the way he's handled this group that was a, an erratic and sometimes underachieving core group and integrated them with the young players? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of it is some of it is systems. Um, I, you know, I, I like I like the systems that he's installed. I, I like just in general the uh, the experience level, the coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I was not a I was not a Dave Haxtell basher, but you you can see the difference in the experience level, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the way he handles his players, I really liked when uh, when JVR has moved down and he was challenging JVR and he was challenging Voracek. You know, he made very clear, and Hayes as well, he made very clear that it's not personal. He likes them as people. He needs more from the hockey players. Same, same thing, again, same thing he said to them before he ever said anything to the media. There, there's, not, there's not a separation of message with the two of them. Um, one of the things also that, that's, uh, you know, the, this year maybe not so much a monitor but long term, it's something that Bundy has said. When you have a team that hasn't been winning and you bring in a coach with pedigree, for at least a year, he gets pretty much carte blanche to shape the team however he sees fit. And the, and it's up to the players to buy into it. And, uh, you know, they have been buying in, I think, in part because, you know, Vino brings a, a lot of energy, a, a lot of self-confidence the way he coaches. And he also he's also a good delegator, too, right? He has mm-hmm. trust in his assistants, and, and they they work, you know, they work by a lot of consensus as well. So, I mean, I, I think it's not just, you know, it's Vino at the helm, and he's done a fantastic job, but I think you got to look at the, the way the pieces are fitting with the staff as a whole, bringing, bringing Yo in to uh, coach the defense and, and the PK, even though, he's a, you know, even though he was a former forward, and Terrian was a, was a former defenseman. But, but they, they, found, you know, they found what their, their roles are with that group, and so far, so far it's all clicked. They've done, a, they've done an outstanding job. I'll when you can things. divvy up the voices and they hear different yeah. voices and not the same one all the time, that always has a, a positive effect, in my opinion. Sure. I'll tell you what I like about Vigneault, and, I, and I've liked this over, you know, since he's been coaching, period. Uh, the fact that, hey, I like you as people. When he said that, and, and, but I need more out of the hockey players, yep. that's, that's a great thing to say because – at least he's not bashing their, them personally. He's just saying, look, you're not playing well enough. When he puts someone like JVR on the fourth line and leaves them there, that's great. Like that's, <laughs> he's basically saying, look, right now, this is what I think of your play. You're going right. to have to work your way out of it. Those kinds and, of things are good. Oh, absolutely. Because when you have, when you have accountability for guys who've had success in the league, you know, it's something that everybody on the roster notices. Right. If you're overstaying your shifts, if you're not back checking, if you're not, you know, besides besides producing offensively, because those are guys they're expecting points from, you know, and you can only talk about scoring chances for so many games before it's well, you got to actually turn that into some production. 
that that has a, that has a ripple effect everywhere in the lineup. If if these guys are held accountable, then everybody else knows that they're accountable as well. Um, you know, and even 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 just putting rookies in in position to succeed, right? Um, rather than putting them on the fourth line or or taking or not having them on special teams, right? I mean, Farabee came up. He started out on on Jeru's uh, power play unit. Morgan Frost has come up. They they put him with. Giroux and connecting on his line. And tonight, by the way, is a, is a pretty big game from Oregon. Um, he's been yeah. getting scoring chances and setting up scoring chances, but he's now gone five games without a point. Um, there have been a couple things creeping into his game that, that were things that even before he came up, they wanted to see him correct. Last game in Montreal, he's moved down to the fourth line during the third period. And I mean, there have been, there have been a couple times a situation where, where he's had opportunities to block shots and he's gotten out of the way of them. That's something that doesn't always play very well with coaches. It's just it's just little things, little things popping up. That tonight, I you know tonight against Toronto, I think is a big game, as kind of potentially a statement game for a rookie. Yeah, um, that, that he's one of the guys tonight, particularly because they'll probably have I well I mean, that's the thing is Toronto can throw both Tavares and uh, and Matthews at you, but I think they'll I think they'll have Couturier's line with the, the last chance probably match up against Tavares yeah. and try to. Have Hayes deal with Matthews. That that makes that line with with Frost, Giroux, and Konechny very important because they could potentially have favorable matchups tonight. Yeah, no question. And, and the other thing is, it's a reward system. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are. If you play well, you get ice. It's real simple. And uh, he, he's done a tremendous job. Bill, this is always a lot of fun. I love having you on. Uh, thanks for doing this. We'll be reading you on NHL.com at Hockey Buzz. Where else? Where where else can we get more Bill Meltzer other than the Stick to Hockey podcast? Yeah, uh, well, the Philadelphia Flyers website, uh, yeah, Flyers Radio 24-7. Chris Terrian and I do a podcast every Wednesday. And also, uh, to keep up with the Flyers alumni, I'm the, uh, I'm the Flyers alumni's content manager. So the alumni social media, I'm, I, I help run. Awesome stuff. Oh, as always, Bill, we appreciate it. Enjoy your hockey. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks to Bill Meltzer from uh, NHL.com, Hockey Buzz. Um, he is the walking Flyers encyclopedia, Russ. It's it's amazing. It he, is amazing. Every he knows everything about every alumni. <laughs> it's it's insane. If you think you know the Flyers and Flyers hockey, you don't know it like Bill. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, he he is one of a kind. Yeah, no question about it. We got some Twitter questions we're going to get to after uh, we get to our. Power rankings. Two months in now, Russ. We're past the quarter pole of the season. Two months in now, you know, we have our preseason power rankings, and we look at who's going to make the playoffs, which teams made it last year, won't make it this year, who's going to be over their Vegas projected line of points, whether that was a team like San Jose, who was 89 and a half, and we looked at that and said, wow, that's really low. they got to be over that. Maybe not. Um, But... Let's look at the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Our top eight teams, not necessarily by the standings right now, but by your top eight teams in each conference. So let's start in the West, Russ. Uh, Your number eight team in the Western Conference is? The number eight team is the San Jose Sharks. Okay. People basically left them as shark chum. (laughs) They were left for dead. People were like, it's finished. It's over. Why'd they bother getting Marlowe? Martin Jones stinks, which, again, I still might be in that corner, but he doesn't stink, but he's just inconsistent. Well, he was a star of the week. He had a 3-0 week and like a 9-40 save. He had a good week. Yeah, I mean, but I did mention that I I still have faith in them because 
I felt like it wasn't all Martin Jones that the defense could could play better, and they have, and they've been scoring a little better. So you know what? They're in a the hunt now. Yeah, that's a team too. I have them in my power rankings. However, I have them at number six, my number eight okay. team. Let's see if the if you have them higher than me. And sometimes recency bias plays in. In this case, it does not for me. But I have the Vancouver Canucks as the eighth ranked team in the Western Conference. Nope, the Canucks don't make my list. Yeah, it was it was a tough one for me. They're 13, 11, and four. And the West seems like last year and this year, like it's just a different kind of hodgepodge. They lost three of their last four, but I think that they will straighten it out. And I feel I feel pretty good about their goaltending situation. So I'm going to put them in my top eight. Well, I mean, the goaltending is good. You know what I think of Demko? I, I feel bad that Markstrom's dad passed, right? I mean, so. What a great you know, moment, by the way. Yes. Markstrom and um, and uh, Matt and Matt Murray coming over to him at warm-ups because he just lost his father last year. It was a great moment. That was a very touching moment, and and I did I I saw that. So my number seven is the Minnesota Wild because. Wow. Okay. Well, they they've been hot. They um, Alex Stalock has been playing great in, in Devin Dubnik's absence because he his wife has some sort of illness and he has to stay with his family right now. And, you know, we've seen this happen with teams where sometimes it takes something catastrophic like that to get everybody to sort of band together and do it for for Devin, so to speak. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, it's a not like they're Craig devoid of, a couple of years ago when they went to a conference final. Right. It's not like they're devoid of talent, and maybe this is why, you know, Dubnik wasn't playing his best in the last couple of weeks. He'd been playing okay, but maybe, you know, it affected his play. Who knows? But but Stalock has really <laughs> opened some eyes for sure, and yeah, right now Minnesota Wild are in, are in the hunt. Well, is he the University of North Dakota product, Stalock? Yeah, I believe he did go there. Yeah, I think you did. Um, all right, my number seven team, I do not have the Minnesota Wild, my top eight. Um, okay. But I do have the San Jose Sharks, who you, you did mention. So yes. that's my number seven team. Uh, my sixth team in the Western Conference is the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who I've been trying to figure out all year. But the fact remains is that right now they are in the third spot in the Pacific Division, which is pretty much a jumbled mess at this point. But I got the, the Vegas Golden Knights hanging in the sixth spot. They're, the Vegas Golden Knights are not in my power rankings. I did see them beat the Rangers yesterday. I do see Malcolm Subban playing his ass off in Mark Andre Fleury's absence, but I think it's fool's gold. I there's still so many things about that team that aren't the same, especially defensively, that I'm not a big believer in them right at this moment. So my number six is the Winnipeg Jets. Because okay. I've been five. If okay. you could see me bowing, it would be to Connor Hellebuck. I've He's your best been, winner right now. Yeah, I've always been a fan of his play, but the chips were really down this year, especially on the on the blue line, and boy, has he come through. Yeah. And, you know, Blake Wheeler is worth his weight in gold to that team for everything he does. And so, yep. you know what? Good for the Jets hanging in there. It was not going to be an easy season for them. Yeah, they're a team right now, 16, 10, and 1 on the season, 33 points. They got the third spot in that tightly contested Central Division. Um, I have them at number 5, so my my eight team is the Canucks. I have the Sharks, Vegas, and Winnipeg at 5. You have, uh, who was your eight team again first? Sharks, Minnesota, Winnipeg. My 5 is the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Okay, who I have at 4. 
Okay. Yeah, they've, they've had a really good goalie tandem. They've gotten great play out of Jacob Chikrin. I'm happy to see that, you know, he's managing to stay healthy and, and really shining. Uh, Christian Dvorak is back, and he's playing well. A lot of things are going right. Although we never hear Phil Kessel's name, I still don't think he's doing much. Usually wherever Phil is, you hear his name, even when he was in Pittsburgh with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. But, yeah, you're right. Um, Rick Tockett's done a tremendous job there. He could be a guy that's in the Jack Adams on the ballot at the end of the year. Tockett should definitely be in the Jack Adams. I don't even think there's any debate. Yeah, I mean, in 28 games, Phil Kessel has 14 points, four goals, and a minus 14. Like, is he just playing golf? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, Phil, and Phil's a guy that no matter you go, okay, well, we worry about that. He's not the most conditioned athlete. All he does is play 82 games, and he's a point-per-game player. That's yeah. not been the case out there. Sometimes it takes a guy coming from a new system, though, too, a little time to adjust into that system. Sure. Maybe that's the case with Phil. Uh, yeah, my number four team is the Coyotes. I'm with you on that one. Uh, all right, now give me your top three in the West. Well, my Conference. four. Oh, yeah, your four. I'm sorry. My four is the Dallas Stars. Uh I told you, Jim Montgomery, no problem. Uh, I knew that Jim Nill would would stay the course. I knew that they would eventually come around. He challenged the right guys. Jamie Benn came on like a house on fire. Miro Haskinen's Miro Haskinen. So they're they're right in the thick of it. Ben Bishop's healthy. For as long as Ben Bishop's healthy, they're in the run and running. Yeah, see, I let recency affect me with them. They were the team I was trying to put in the top eight, but I didn't because okay. they've now lost three straight. And they, they're too erratic for me right now. Okay, that's fair. So that, that's why I had them where I – okay, so your top three teams in the Western Conference. Three, Edmonton, two, Colorado, one, St. Louis. Okay, we we agree on the teams. My order is three, Colorado, two, Edmonton. One St. Louis. We all agree on St. Louis at yeah. 42 points sitting atop that conference. That they won the cup. I mean, take a look at their calendar year from January when they came to Philadelphia and Jordan Bennington shut out the Flyers to make his to, to get that first win of the season for him last year. And then where they've the the record that they played with from that moment until now is astounding. It's like a 7.25 win percentage. Craig Berube is some kind of genius, I guess. But Doug Armstrong like deserves a lot of credit, right? Because he he, he pushed the plunger early on that Justin Falk trade. Maybe he thought he needed that to not have that cup hangover. Good for him. That was smart. Yeah. And Petrangelo, he, he, he's handled his d- distractions very well. Yes. And, and kind of limited. Well, being you know, a cup contending team will help you do that. No question about it. And and Craig Berube's got them yeah, all, all marching to the same beat right now, which is a great thing for them. All right. Let's get to the Eastern Conference. And your top eight teams in the Eastern Conference. And we start off with your number eight, which is? The Tampa Bay Lightning. Because there <laughs> are there is too much talent there. And they haven't played a lot of games. Last I looked, they played like 24 games, which is like as, as few as four less than some of the other teams. So they're still in it. Yeah, and they have 27 points, as you mentioned. One point back, but three games in hand on Montreal. And three points back of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who played 28 games, so they have four less games. They, I did not put them in my top uh, eight yet. My number eight team is the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, despite no Crosby, they've lost two straight, four, three, and three in their last ten, but 14, nine, and four on the season. They're going to survive it. I think that they know how to survive it, and then they'll put on their foot on the gas because that's what the Pens do. So 
I got the Pens at number eight. Did they make your top eight? No, they would have been like the next team, the number nine. My number seven is Toronto. Me, me as well. Yeah, Toronto's starting that little uptick. Sheldon Keefe is there. It's a different, different way of looking at things. Tyson Barry got that 8,000 pounds, pounds off his back, and he's starting to play. It's a whole different world now. So they're going to keep rising. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, too. They just got to be better on the road. Two games under 500 on the road. I have them as my number seven team as well. Number six, I have the Panthers. Where do you got the Panthers? The Panthers, I have five. Six, I have Carolina. All right, Rob so I have to flip-flop with you, yeah. Yeah, Rod Brindamore is a great coach. I still don't love the goaltending, and uh, they're starting to complain now, the fans, about Jake Gardner. So the Leafs fans are laughing about that. Jake Gardner wasn't going to change as a player. He was just going to be less noticeable in Carolina. That's really. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't get followed in Carolina quite like it does in Toronto, right? No. <laughs> yeah. I have the Canes at number five, um, but I think they are, they have are flawed big time with the goaltending. You know, last year it worked with Morazic and McElhaney. Uh, yeah. A little too much dependence on Morazic this year, I think hurts them a little bit. All yeah, right. And, let's and get to the top better four. lately. I, I will say that. Yes. Uh, your top four in the Eastern Conference. Let's start off with number four. Philadelphia. So We agree. <laughs> this is, but, but again, I want to caution, this is a power rankings. This is not necessarily what I think of the team for the season. But right now, they, they've gotten a lot of points, albeit the loser points. And the negative side of things is they've lost leads. And that's why these games have gone into overtime. You want to say they're playing three out of four. You want to say they're playing on the road. They're still not a great road team either. And Carter Hart still has to prove it on the road. End of the day, though, that's a good month for them. Yeah, when you when you accumulate that many points, you tie a franchise record. And you're right. It looks like uh, far too often they run out of gas in the third period. And they're trying to just hang on, which is why they end up yes. going to overtime. And they play a lot of tight hockey games. I mean, you look at, you know, the, the games that in the in the past couple of weeks, I mean, they had a stretch of four straight games that were OT or shootout. Three of those were in the shootout, by the way. Two of them they won. They yeah. beat Toronto in overtime. They beat, or excuse me, Montreal in overtime, three to two. Then they beat Toronto in the shootout on that Saturday night. And then they turned around and they beat Boston the next day in a three out of four situation. To me, that's the stretch that is the most impressive in the month. But it also yeah. took some starch out of them because they lost four straight, two of yep. those in the shootout. But they got so they got the loser point there. And then they've won, they've won their last four, beating Vancouver two to one, beating Columbus three to two on the road, kicking the crap out of Detroit because that's what everyone does. And yep. then they beat Montreal on the road four to three in overtime, well, and a Provorov goal that was sensational. That goal was sensational. It shouldn't have gone to overtime. Absolutely. Um, okay, your top three teams in the Eastern Conference, Russ. Who are they? The Islanders in three, Boston two, Washington one. Okay, we agree on the three teams. Um, I just have the Caps and the Bruins flipped. I have the Bruins with okay. the top spot in the division in the conference, then the Caps and the Isles. But I want to talk about one thing with the Bruins real quick. Um, the load management now with Patrice Bergeron is is funny because that's what they're doing. They don't call it that because the league, the NHL, doesn't do that. Maybe it's an image thing, but that is indeed what they're doing with Patrice Bergeron. Um, the, the amazing thing when you look at the standings in, you know, you look at teams' home record and the fact that Boston is 11-0-4, they still have not lost in regulation on home ice. 
It is amazing. I mean, they they've been hot, and I do think they're what they're doing with Patrice Bergeron is load management. They're not really calling it that. The league doesn't really call it that, but that's what they're doing. Yeah, and probably smartly so. And they should probably do that with Chara as well. Yeah, yeah. Why not? I mean, I I totally agree. Although we will talk about Matt Niskanen. Uh, as well, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, my top three teams, the Bruins, Caps, Isles, uh, one, two, three, Flyers at four, Canes at five, Panthers at six, and Leafs at number seven. All right, Russ, time to get to some Twitter questions to put a wrap on this episode 60. So I put out the tweet that we were going to take some today, and let's start off with this one from Andrew Alton, Alton Philly 444. He says, is Taylor Hall a realistic option for the Flyers? I know he and G are good buddies. Would he have interest in signing here? And what would a package look like to get him? So first of all, Taylor Hall, realistic option for the Flyers in division trade. Okay, so that's unlikely. Shiro is not the kind of guy that would like to do it. But let's just, for argument's sake, say he wants to do it. Uh, Shiro will look for, he'll ask for Sanheim. They'll say no. He'll ask for Myers. They'll be like, maybe. So then... Okay, it's Myers. Uh, probably going to ask for somebody in their system, maybe like Radcliffe, mm-hmm. and a conditional first in case you sign him. Okay. And I don't think they can afford to give that up, not knowing if they could sign him. Because I yeah, don't think that's... Taylor Hall's signing with anybody. I think he's going He's straight. going to market. Yeah. yeah. This is a Tavares situation. He's going to go to yes. market. I think he's been pretty clear in his agent that he's going to want to get to the free agency market. And if you're going to try and prevent him from going to free agency, Russ, as we've seen with Kevin Hayes, you're going to have to pay through the nose to do it. They can't do it twice. Yeah, and if you thought Hayes was expensive, where do you see what Taylor Hall is going to be like to keep him off the market? Right. (laughs) Insane. Likely not going to happen. Um, The Upper Bowl podcast, uh, at the Upper Bowl pod on Twitter, tweets it and says, what's one thing, the one thing you've noticed that the Flyers need to be better at when the calendar turns to January. So for long-term success, what do they need to be better at? So I have two things. Winning on the road. Starting on the road is my big one. And not losing these third-period leads. Not yes. running out of gas. Maybe that's a product of the schedule. You alluded to that earlier. Yep. That might be part of it, but they got to be better at finishing. And to me, and there's another finishing that they need to be better at too, and that's scoring more goals. They're getting a lot of opportunities, but they got to get better at burying in particular. Well, I mean, like look, I mean, play. when you put Claude Giroux at center, you're you're sapping a lot of his offense. And right now with Patrick out, there's not much much option there. So, and there's a possibility Patrick won't be back. There is that possibility. Um, Maria tweets in and says, "Now there's a coach whose post-game interview I can actually listen to. He holds his players accountable and has high expectations of their performance." They are certainly delivering for him. She's regarding, obviously, to Elaine Vigneault. Now, he's not only a good coach, but he's good for the media. He is. But you have to, you know, don't let his great suits, good haircut, and great demeanor fool you. Because there'll be times you'll be mad at him, too. But right now, he's done a really good job. Yeah. And and in this town, after what Doug Peterson had to say after the Eagles lost to the (laughs) Miami Dolphins, that's a good football team. Well, it was a little bit of Gabe Kapler in there. Yeah, but Gabe got another job. So what are you really saying? Yeah, well, yeah, well, they're gonna they're gonna love him out there in uh, San Francisco. They were already he speaks, dude. Freaking, he does. 
Oh, yes, he does. Uh, I never thought I would actually do the Gabe Kapler impression on the Stick to Hockey podcast, but there you go. Oh, my. Uh, Flyers hype man tweets, and he says, is this the real team that we saw this past month, or are they just hot right now, still gun-shy to buy in after the last few years? So is it different this year, Russ? I mean, it's different in the sense that they're better defensively. Uh, They did get hot. There's still going to be ups and downs. I can't say a full buy-in is is what I would say to do, but I say you could at least be optimistic. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Gregory Gable tweets in. He says, what brings you the most confidence the Flyers can keep this run going through the rest of the season? And he said, parenthetically, for me, it's confidence I'm developing in both goaltenders to perform. I agree with that. If the goaltending's strong, they'll be in good shape. The other potential issues are, like Bill alluded to, Morgan Frost. He came out of the gate like gangbusters. There have been some turnovers and things. How long are you going to stick with that? So that's one thing. And Joel Farabee, just because he's playing an all-around game, he has two goals in 20-something games. He is used to a lot more goals. A couple years ago, he had over 40 in the NTDP system. Like, so we could say he's doing all the right things, but he is still hitting posts and still having the same problems he had in preseason, if you remember, which got him sent down. So once you get past the 32-game mark, then you're walking him closer to free agency down the line. You have to seriously think about that. If you remember the Flyers back in the day with Holmgren, fell just short of that with Lucas Pisa. And I think the next 10 games are important for Farabee that way. No question about it. All right, Russ, we've certainly put you to the test. We thank Bill Meltzer for joining us. It's been one hell of an episode 60. Enjoy your hockey, everybody. We'll be back next time on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Check out Sportsology.com. Follow Russ on Twitter at Sportsology. uh, Myself at Jason Mert. And the Stick to Hockey podcast at Stick to Hockey Pod on Twitter. Have a great day. Enjoy your hockey, everybody.